0: and at all points in their career. Through this podcast, I get to interview amazing leaders who are shocking their own potential and the potential of those around them. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and shockyourpotentialpodcast.com. And don't forget to check out my two best-selling books, Tell Me More, How to Ask the Right Questions and Get the Most Out of Your Employees, and Sales Mixology, why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. Join us now as we meet another great guest. And don't forget, subscribe, rate, and like us today. Thank
1: you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. Today my guest is Kate Colbert, and she is an accomplished marketer, speaker, market researcher, and communications consultant. Now here's what's really unique about her. She helps organizations to go beyond creative hunches, which she'll probably yell at me when I give her a couple of my creative hunches, because she's all about data-driven differentiation. And that comes from not just saying, okay, we have data to prove things, but that really is data from the customer. Those are some things that I'm definitely gonna wanna dive into. She's also the founder of Silvertree Communications, and here's the great part. It's also a part of Silvertree Publishing, which happens to be the publisher of second edition of my book tell me more how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees got to put my own commercial in there of course and uh, we're gonna talk also about her brand new book today which is think like a marketer how a shift in mindset can change everything for your business and there's gonna be valuable tips that we're all gonna take because I'm gonna try and pick her brain because I ordered the book but it still hasn't shown up for me yet so That means I probably just ordered it right now. Anyway, so first of all, Kate, welcome. Thank you for joining us on this episode. Oh, thank you
2: so much for having me. This is very fun and very exciting to be here
1: well and obviously i'm a little selfish because i want you here not only because you're the publisher that i have um, really embraced for the second edition of my book and also the future books that we have coming in 2019 and beyond so i've really enjoyed that process but i'm i'm really excited to learn about your book as well as well as you know all of the different things that you have your hands on because you have many different aspects to your business and those are some of the important lessons that i like to share with my listeners so First of all, why don't you give a little bit of a background on you, but tell us a little bit about yourself and your business and highlight for us how you try to shock your customers or the people that you work with. Um, So
2: thank you. Well, you know, we are at at my core, I'm a writer. So I started out my career um, headed, um, you'll be able to relate to this a little bit, Michael. So I started out as an educator, as a teacher. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was teaching at the collegiate level. So I was teaching freshman English, composition, uh, Shakespeare, you name it, um, at various colleges and universities and went into that because I had a love for writing and I had a love for story. And I quickly learned that while I loved to teach other people how to write, what I loved more was actually writing and teaching was keeping me away from my own writing endeavors. So I, I made a, a fairly quick pivot early in my career to really focus on what can I do to help other people tell their stories differently, and how can I tell some of my own, and interestingly, all these years later, the, the book that just came out is actually the first sort of significant piece of content that's ever come out with my own name on it, so I write yeah. for my author, you know, all my clients, and do a lot of ghostwriting. so I own a sort of a conglomerate of companies, if you might want to call it that, so Silvertree Communications has been around for about 16 years, and we are home to various services and brands. We do a great deal of market research, or what you talked about um, as data-driven differentiation projects for um, elite colleges and universities. So we work with top 50 research universities, law schools, medical schools, liberal arts colleges, and we also work a lot in the healthcare space. So we do a lot of taking a look at people's data, so right now we do a lot of work with the medical malpractice insurance industry where we take a look at all the folks who have filed malpractice claims against doctors or facilities, and we take a look at what are the themes in that data, what are the stories, and it's my job to generate insights around that, um, to tell the stories, to dig into the case studies, and to develop reports for the healthcare industry to help, for example, emergency departments be safer, to help obstetricians um, deliver more babies without injury. Um, So it's, I think what shocks people um, about the work that I do is the fact that I bring left brain and right brain together. So it's really easy for people, whether you're a chief marketing officer or a CEO or a product specialist at your organization... To think of the marketing people, to think of people like me as people who are all about what's pretty or what's buzzworthy, or think, oh, that's who we call when we need a, a cool tagline or we need something to put onto a billboard. And yes, I do that type of work and I've done that type of work really well. But I think what shocks our clients is that, that when my phone rings and somebody says, hey, we, th- we need to do this communications campaign or I want to write a book or I want to whatever, one of the first questions I typically ask is, how do you know? And how will we know that it's a good television commercial, or how will we know that it's a great headline for your email campaign? Um, What does the customer data tell us? And nine times out of 10, the client says, what? My boss told me to call you because we need a brochure. Um, (laughs) And so I sort of have to ask them to backtrack. Like, let's, let's not get caught up in the creative stuff. Let's not get caught up in the tactics, but let's talk about What is the marketplace telling us? And we do a a lot of work where we sort of back up a step and apply a a, a sort of life sort of tenant that I believe very strongly that a little bit of market research goes a long way. So sometimes just taking time to put eight customers in a room and ask them what they think about your product or service can cause major changes in the way that you create value for those customers and so that you can capture more value back to the bottom line. So at the end of the day I'm a communications consultant. Um, we happen to have a book publishing division as well which we love and holy cow have I loved working with you on your book. I think it's <laughs> fantastic. I'm so proud of you for um, releasing this expanded um, and revised edition, which I think is just outstanding. Um, And so that's kind of when people pick up the phone and call me because they know that they need to do something differently. They need to connect in meaningful ways with their customers and figure out how to monetize that perhaps differently than they're doing now. But I would say nine times out of 10, our clients don't realize um, how much data they have at their fingertips or they could, could have at their fingertips until they call me.
1: It's a very uh, great point on many levels. And as you were talking, I was reaching for a book I just finished uh, called The Checklist Manifesto. I don't know if you've read this, by Dr. Atul Gawande. And he he's a surgeon. And his book is all about using a checklist. Like, yeah. you know, you can have all kinds of, you know, new plans. And, you know, you can have the greatest new equipment. But none of it makes any sense or difference, really, unless you use data to understand it and then formulate different ways to checklist and create uh, follow-through on the important things. Because then that way, you know you're making a difference based on data.
2: See, that's fascinating to me. So first of all, I didn't know that Dr. Aguande wrote a book for the general marketplace on this principle. So he is, and I've cited him many times in the work that I write for the healthcare industry. So he absolutely revolutionized the way that surgical suites work and operating rooms work in the United States. And his checklist, so he is, you know, it, it's absolutely true. It's simple, perhaps, to think about, we have to have these checklists about, have we done this? Have we checked this? Have Has the um, anesthesiologist asked this question or double-checked this? And at the end of the day, the, the impact of following those steps is literally a matter of life and death. And if you take a look at Hospitals and surgical centers um, that are really sort of struggling with poor outcomes. Typically, they are organizations that have not adopted his checklist, um, nice. and so <laughs> you know, which is really interesting. And so it's one of the things on the healthcare side that my clients are always telling people: adopt the checklist. You know, there are best practices, there are ways to do this. And you're absolutely right. I mean, that that aligns to what what I do and sort of my philosophy um, around that it doesn't have to be complicated it needs to be rooted in the facts right so so my company is called silver tree and people ask me all the time about sort of where does the tree concept come from and why did you name it that and um, and there's sort of a variety of sort of stories behind the inspiration for that that name but it, it it's sort of a two part right so whatever brand you're building, whether you are a lawyer who owns a a practice or you're a doctor or you're a management consultant or you run a large pharmaceutical company, whatever you do, you have a brand that you manage and you want it to be meaningfully different from your competitors, right? So you want it to be recognizable as whatever it is. You want it to be recognizable as a drug company, as a boutique that sells women's clothes, whatever it is you do, right? So like a tree, it needs to be something people understand what it is, but you need it to be really unique and meaningfully different. You don't see a whole lot of silver trees. Um, There actually is a tree called the silver tree. It grows in Australia. Um, But I love the sort of concept and the metaphor of the tree because it's rooted. And everything that we do for our clients is really So before we get to that pretty tree, before we get to that story and what sort of faces the the marketplace, when we tell that story, it's all rooted in the data and the customer insights and the research um, and a really smart strategy about how to connect with the marketplace and how to commit yourself to that perfect balance, that virtuous cycle between creating value for the customer and capturing value back to the bottom line in a way that keeps your business operating profitably um, year after year after year.
1: Well, and a great tie-in to that to me is thinking even with uh, Dr. <laughs> Gawande is that in his cases, the checklist in the surgical suite, you're right, could mean life or death for a person. And in business, a marketing strategy that is based on good data and good checklist can mean the de- the life or death of the business. And even right now, as I'm going through this virtual conference that I'm launching next week, the first one that I've done like this my, I'm trying to just keep a running list of everything that I've done wrong, everything I wanna make sure to not do wrong the next time, and it's seven or eight pages right now of typed up little print. It'll get smaller and tighter as we get better about this, but if I wasn't writing it down, I would forget these things next time we only have so much capacity in our brain to operate, whether it's our current job or building a business, we're being there for our family. We're trying to remember to pick up the dry cleaning while, you know, getting dinner ready for the kids. So it, it's this element of how do we focus on things that we know make us or break us. And, and how do we do that in a way that's effective for us in the long term?
2: Yeah. What's interesting about that for me too, is that, um, You've always really struck me as a a person of integrity and someone who has a lot of humility. And so it's interesting hearing you talk about this because you talk about it as if all it takes is the discipline and the time to write it down. But what I think is important to acknowledge is that a lot of people don't, a lot of business owners and leaders at various levels don't have the humility to realize they need to be thinking about the mistakes they're making or where there is a disconnect between what they're doing and what the customer really wants from them. And that's really the big piece. And so for me, magic always happens when somebody is willing to admit they don't know what they don't know. We sort of call this the ellipsis test at Silver Tree. So we ask our clients to finish sentences and to put ellipses in them for them. So if I only knew dot 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 about millennial customers, we would have 10 times more of them. If I only knew dot 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 about what they think about the new packaging for this new product, we would be able to raise our price point if we only knew dot, dot, dot. And so I'm constantly asking our clients, and we talk, I talk about this a lot in my book, is what is the ellipsis? And in our experience, it's almost heartbreaking when you can really ask yourself, what is the ellipsis? And then you, a lot of people shrug their shoulders and say, well, I have this hunch, right? I have this, I think this would be a beautiful cover. I think this would be a really great design for this billboard or what have you. Um, But the dot, dot, dot is almost always knowable, Michael. So it's our experience that in 85% of the cases when a customer comes to us and they have a hunch, here's what we think the influencers for our purchases care about. It's something we could find out if we just went and asked and either we asked their existing customers or we asked the customers they've lost who were in their pipeline, but who went to the competitors, or we just take a look at, you know, what is the demographic of their would-be customer and let's go talk to those people and find out what the heck do they give a darn about. So I think humility is a huge part of it. We had a client recently in the financial services space and she was really looking to put a stake in the ground about serving primarily serving female clients. And she has really great heart and passion around working with independent women and sort of women ahead of households, particularly women entrepreneurs in managing um, their financial assets. And she was ready to Changed the way she talked about herself on the website and everywhere she went and everything she said, not to completely put her hand up and sort of keep men away, but to be really clear that these women were her her primary audience. And I thought it was a really great positioning and it was different and it was potentially meaningfully different, which is what we're trying to help our clients achieve. But I said, let's double check that. So we did a client survey. And as it turned out, her customers, her clients, while they were incredibly loyal across the board, her loyalty metrics were actually stronger among her male clients. And some of the educational programs that she was offering and workshops and social sort of connection, things that she was uh, sponsoring for her clients, the things that she thought the men wanted. So, for example, something that's maybe a little touchy-feely, like doing vision boarding at the beginning of the year, so you know if you want to take a cruise to Alaska, so you know whether to save money for it. She thought that's a woman's event. and. Uh overwhelmingly men told us more than women told us, yes, I would like to be invited to that. So
1: again, you have to let the data speak. Absolutely. It's so funny too, as you were saying that I was kind of rolling my eyes at myself because i was thinking about even coming to you with what i wanted to do for my cover of my book and think about the series and the books that are all coming because they're all related and where we went from that evolution to the book cover for the second edition and it's so funny because uh, i just ran into a friend of mine last friday and he's from ireland he was in town we just barely got to see him just out of the blue and he the first thing he said i'm so glad you picked that cover because as you remember i put all three covers up on on all my social media and add people way in. And wow. I had a lot of people that liked all of them. So I, you know, there was, you know, that was all across the board, but the overwhelming number of people loved the one that we went with. And by the time I put it up, I already knew that's what I wanted. And I strangely, I had a hunch that that was going to be the good one. Yeah. But the data proved it. And just when he walked in, that was the first thing he said, besides, it's so great to see you. I'm so glad you picked that cover. You made the right decision. <laughs> Right, and that is,
2: that, but that's the perfect example, Michael, of this idea of a little bit of market research goes a long way, right, so once you know this from having released a first edition of the book, once you commit to a cover or whatever, it's, it's out there, right, it's very, it's, you can't really sort of turn around, the used bookstores will always have it, or your products, you know, sort of first generation, if it's a technology product or what have you, it will be out there for forever, yeah. like people you can't I get rid of, I know, it's awful. It'll go away. Uh, you're, you're doing great and it's going to sell really well, the, the new one. And so the other one, the used bookstores won't want the old one at some point, but, um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, and think how easy that was to throw a few JPEG files up on social media and ask people, you know, vote one, two or three. Um, you absolutely could have in some authors and some brand managers, um, still will sort of defy um, the, the marketplace if they feel that maybe the people who responded to the survey weren't the right market. But at the end of the day, it's important um, as an author or as somebody making decisions um, in a company for a brand to remember that what you like isn't always relevant because you might not be the customer for what you're selling. And so I think that's really, really important. And I think that, again, was astute on your part to say, listen, we Let's just double check this um, with the marketplace. And, and, and in your case, it was you were able to what we would, uh, we would say that you validated um, what <laughs> your hunch, right? So you had a feeling about what you're talking about, what was going to work, and we did too. So we gave you those, those, those concepts based on what we know sells. Um, and we do know that people do judge a book by its cover. Um, and so you were able to validate that hypothesis um, with real data, which was great.
1: I agree. And, and I love that because it really does. It is about data and, and a lot of decisions, especially in marketing, for people that own their own business or their own brand, there's a sense of self in that and there's the sense of pride or I know. And if, and if I go another route or I trust something else, it might affect me. It might say something negative about me instead of just saying, it it's not about you. It's about the customer. Do you want it, somebody to buy it? Do you want somebody to engage with it? Well, if you do, then you better listen to them. So tell us just a little bit about your book. So think like a marketer, how a shift in mindset, which is kind of what we're talking about, can change everything for your business. So clearly I'm all on board. But give us some highlights about this book and why you wrote it and, and a little bit about what it tells you and tells the reader that they need to know.
2: Yeah, so the book um, just came out a few months ago and is doing very well. It was I wrote this book because not everyone out there is going to have the opportunity to hire me and to tap into the ideas. And over the years, my clients have said to me over and over again, We've seen such a huge difference in the way our company operates or the profits that we're seeing or the stability that we're seeing because you've taught us to think about things differently. And so I sat down to write this book knowing that if there was a way that I could offer up that sort of mindset as a model to help people sort of shift, it's not about turning non-marketers into marketers. So this is not a how-to book um, on marketing for people who wanna make a shift in their careers. This book um, is being very well received by professional marketers um, who need some reminders and some, some shifts as well. But this book is resonating very, very well for people who run companies at, you know, we've heard everyone from, you know, I run a major division, a multi-million dollar division at a pharmaceutical company, to I own a tattoo parlor. And this is helping me think about how we um, think about our marketing and our viability in the marketplace. The book is essentially centered around what I call sort of the five think like a marketer principles and they're illustrated in various ways throughout the book, but there are things like, you know, principle number one is communicate for connection and meaning, not just to transact sales. And I talk a lot in the book about how to do that. So how to remember to be communicating with your marketplace and your customers not just when you're trying to make the cash register ring because if you're creating connection and meaning and you're telling your story and you're endearing people to your brands and to you if you're a personal brand like a consultant or a doctor or an attorney when it's time to transact sales people will be ready and willing to offer you um that that money and you know it, we talk about other principles in the book so we talk about um about how to be, when it comes to your marketing itself, how to be strategy religious and tactic agnostic, which is a term that I use. and It has nothing to do with how you pray or where you go to church, but it's all about if you choose a strategy that makes sense and hopefully is based on the data. So maybe your strategy is we have a group of customers that spend on average more than 30%, more than what our average customer spends. So these are sort of our VIP customers. So we want our marketing strategy to be doing really high touch um, personalize things for those people, and then continue to do um, sort of more mass marketing to the rest. So, you know, everybody else who's, you know, only buying things from you once a year or what have you, they'll still see your emails and your blogs and your social media and your ads and what have you. Um, but does that 30% VIP people, we're going to do something really special for them. That may be your strategy. Your, um, your tactical approach then um, I suggest that you be sort of agnostic, what I call agnostic about it, meaning don't fall in love with or have religion about particular tactics. So maybe sometimes it's going to be right to be producing really cool videos for them or doing some sort of virtual conference for them or sending them cool gifts in the mail or taking them out to lunch or whatever the case may be. But don't fall in love with or disdain a particular marketing tactic because of your um, sort of personal preference. And a great example of that for me is that um, I really resisted doing video for a very, very long time, even though, you know, it kills me as a writer to admit this, but people would far rather watch a video um, or listen to a podcast, right, than read an article. And but I resisted it for a long time and I wasn't sure why. Part of it is because i a uh, perfectionist, so I knew it was I was gonna have to have all the right extras and actors and the perfect set and you know the best people. And my video production crew, uh, incidentally, is based in Philly by, by you, so I do fly them out to Wisconsin when we do videos. And I put it off for a long time, but a big part of why I wasn't getting on camera to talk about what I do and, and how I do it differently so that I could attract clients in a way that they felt confident when they made the first phone call to me was that I was uncomfortable on camera because I was overweight. And Mm -hmm. that was a really interesting thing for me to sort of finally get sort of honest about when we started producing more content and I started being less fearful about being a guest on podcasts and all those types of things. Amazing things happened, not just for us in terms of capturing value, but amazing things happened for us, our ability to be able to connect with clients and customers and create more value for them. So, So it's really about making sure you understand what your strategy is and letting you drive that. But then trying out new things. So, you know, try out paid search, try out, and then again, let the data serve you. Um, Principle number two, so I sort of jumped ahead to three. Principle number two is live and die by your customer insights. So Mm -hmm. that's really what I have built my career on is helping organizations understand that you need to be paying attention to the data. And then more than just the numbers, what do those numbers or um, behaviors tell us? And what are the insights? And then how do we develop recommendations and actions for your companies based on that? You know, we also The book um, shares very practical, sort of topical chapters on everything from how do you create a sampling opportunity for your business? So if you're a consultant or you own a massage therapy business, or not everything seems to lend itself so obviously to a sample the way a bagel bite at a grocery store on a Saturday morning does, but there are ways to sample everything, right? I know, exactly. That's what people think of when they think of samples, right? It's like, I get the bagel bite at, at the grocery store. But no matter what you do, right? And so my book even talks about things like you know construction equipment that costs a million dollars for you know a backhoe. Um, how are companies like Caterpillar letting people come drive their machines at these cool sort of dirt playgrounds? And um, so what does sampling look like in every industry? So we have a chapter on that. We talk a lot. The book talks a lot about storytelling, you know. And there's entire sections for if you run a business all by yourself. So you're the loan marketing maven. What do you must you absolutely do? So this book really is about helping folks who maybe don't have access to a marketing consultant or an agency who can't afford it or don't feel like they need it um, or aren't ready for it yet to be able to sort of get um, sort of a marketing primer, a marketing degree in a book. I was very gratified that one of the reviewers of the book, uh, Lois Kramer, called it an MBA in a book, which I thought was lovely. And it's really resonating very, very well. It's practical. It also is written in a way that is sort of choose your own adventure. So I wrote the book such that you don't have to read it from front to back. So if you look at the table of contents and you say, oh, I want to read this chapter about how to publish a book as a marketing tactic to drive my business, I can jump straight to that chapter and it will make sense a la carte. And I think that's one of the things that has made the book very successful. The book also has... um, predictions for the future. So every chapter ends with a section about what I'm predicting for the future of those particular sort of topics or um, issues that I'm discussing. And I think that that's helping people really prepare, not just how to be successful now, but how to sort of, as Wayne Gretzky's, I think it was his father had said, um, skate to where the puck is going. Mm -hmm. And so that's what this book attempts to do.
1: Very good. I can't wait to see what the magic crystal ball says about the future on things. (laughs) (laughs) This next question that I try and ask everybody now in this season 2 you probably answered it in many different stories but I like to ask people what's the biggest challenge that you've faced in building your business over time and how have you overcome it or how are you trying to overcome it or what did you try that didn't work so I as you know I love uh, success stories as much as failures but uh, I think it's it's really great for my listeners to hear the challenges that we all face and so that we're realistic because a lot of times as marketers or you know, speakers or business people, we, we try and put on the best front. But the reality is we all face challenges. So, you know, can you share a little bit about what what some of them or one of them that has been that you've faced?
2: Sure. I, you know, it's um, it's hard to sort of think about sometimes. And I think that this is the one of the most important things we can talk about is for me, it's the biggest challenge I've faced throughout the years is how to balance my commitment to people and profits because they're sometimes out of sync with one another, right? And so recently I had the opportunity to do kind of an analysis of my brand and my publicist participated in that and she was tossing out adjectives that she relates to me and to my brand. And um, I was really struck when she used the word loving and it, it stopped me in my tracks, right? That, that someone recognized that I really, I do love my clients. I love their work. I take it very seriously. I'm willing to stay up late and work on weekends. And um, I take it very personally. And the, 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 the gift of that is it, it helps drive a very sort of ethical business and one based on integrity. And the challenge of that is it sometimes blinds me about what's profitable and what mm-hmm. I should be spending my time doing um, and whether or not I should be making sort of shifts or pivots in my business. So what I have just this morning, in fact, I was um, talking to somebody I trust um, around potentially making some major shifts in um, one of our business lines. And, um, and uh, he sort of, he was joking and d- there was a lot of swearing and, um, and he said, Kate, you know, when he asked what I was charging for something and he's like, that's like 40% too cheap. He's like, that's like, you're never going to make any money doing that. Um, and so what I've been trying to do all these years and will stay committed to doing it as I go forward is finding ways to force myself into some objectivity. So I do periodically, take time away from the office and, you know, go work with, you know, people probably think it's strange that I, that I work with brand consultants when I am a brand consultant, but I, I did just actually hire the, the folks over at Brand Builders Group in Nashville to do this work with me. So Rory Vaden, um, bestselling author of Take the Stairs and Procrastinate on Purpose, really helped me in this regard as well. But what does it look like when you put, start putting sticky flip charts all over the walls and start getting really real and for me, it's about forcing myself into objectivity around what I'm doing. So is is it possible if I ask myself to be honest that I'm spending 70 or 80% of my time working on something that only drives 30% of the revenue to my company? And is that sustainable and does that make sense for us? So I try to look at the metrics and the data just the way that I would tell my clients to do. Now sometimes I'm my worst customer in regard on this. So like I, you know, I have to force myself to do this. For me, I use a phrase in my head all the time. How do I get out of the emotions and get into the facts? It's a concept I use when I'm actually trying to deal with difficult situations um, when I'm communicating with people. So sometimes people get really triggered and things get emotional in a conversation. So again, how do you get out of the, the emotions and get into the facts? I try to do the same thing when I'm making decisions for my company is, is it possible that I really, really love certain kinds of projects and I want to do that, but that doing more of them is not ultimately serving the clients or it's not serving me or my health or the longevity of my company. So that I think will probably continue to be a challenge for me over time because I, I want to do the right things for the clients, but I also want to run a sustainable business. Um, so I'm going to continue to ask myself, you know, are my commitment sort of to people and profit in balance? I, I think when they're out of balance, I'm, I'm happy to say I think they're out of balance in the right way, at least in an ethical way. So I, I put my clients first, sometimes to the detriment um, of my paycheck. And and so I need to work on sort of balancing that up a little bit better, but I feel quite confident it's never going to go too far the other direction. I'm never going to run, you know, a a really um, flush with cash kind of business that isn't offering enough value to the customer. So again, it's that create capture value um, challenge that I talk about a lot in the book and that I talk about it for a reason. It's because it's sort of been my own nemesis and paying close attention to it has been um, important to my success.
1: I think that's valuable advice that you that you have and you're saying and I love how in the beginning you're like uh, you know you might think it's weird that I am a consultant and I'm going to someone else for consulting but I'm a firm believer of if, if you don't take your own advice how can you give that advice to others and it's something I've struggled with too and as I've been building this business over the last couple of years I was trying to reach the point where I could find a group of people that I could trust and have dialogues with and and say, let me tell you the bad stuff about my business. Let me tell you the challenges I'm facing. And I finally found that that group a couple months ago and up before that I was randomly picking some people I trusted but that didn't have the same background I did didn't have the same they hadn't managed something bigger I needed people that have done more that I have done more than they have in some areas but they've done more from in other areas that I haven't and as we've been getting together in person and on on uh, conference calls and we hold each other accountable it's it's such a different perspective because then you're saying, okay, I need to learn from you, and I need that, and and if you don't bring experts around you, if you're always the smartest person in the room, you know, you're in the wrong room. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's so, great. So I always ask everybody a couple questions, so we're getting near the end here, and one of the reasons that I ask this next one is because I focus on excellence and leadership and sales and the customer experience. I try and propagate uh, the the dialogue of excellent examples. So I always ask everybody, what's the best example you've been the recipient of, of a positive leadership or sales or customer experience that impacted you and that impacts your business and how you operate today?
2: So there may be some recency effect um, to sharing this story, but earlier this year, so I call it, and people who know me call it the bed bug story, and it did make it into it did make it into my book, um, but I think it's a great example of when things go horribly wrong and a customer service delivery and an organization really steps up. And for a variety of reasons, I'm not going to share the name of the hotel with you, um, even though I have really lovely things to say about them. But I was doing um, some market research for a higher education client, and we were. Um, in Dallas, Texas, I'm um, staying at a very nice hotel. But from moment one when we walked in, something was just sort of off about this hotel. And it was beautiful lobby, and you know, crystal chandeliers, and looked lovely. But there just weren't firing on all cylinders. So we had planned this big event, and we had you know rented uh, conference rooms for these. Uh, nobody seemed to know who we were. We had an appointment scheduled with the catering director. She seemed surprised that we were there, The rooms weren't set appropriately. Everything was just sort of going wrong. I got to my room and there was a flood. So I had a wet bar and there was like all this water under the sink. And so I had to have them come help. I was carrying a lot of cash as I do when we do focus groups because we pay our participants. So I had thousands of dollars in cash and my safe was broken, like nothing was working. And we decided to sort of suck it up and get through it. And the next day was our, our first focus group. And I went to bed and I got up in the morning and was getting ready and saw something on the beautiful white sheets and um, picked it up um, in a Kleenex and squeezed it um, and saw a whole lot of blood, my blood, I think, um, and realized it was a bed bug. And so I I took a photograph of it and I went down to the front desk and they all sort of panicked and they didn't know what to do. And they were going to the back room and they were, nobody was talking to me. Um, And eventually I was told, ma'am, please go back to your room. The folks from engineering as well as the catering director are waiting for you in your room. And so here that catering director who was maybe not sort of getting everything sort of pulled together, we didn't have the right number of chairs in the rooms and what have you, realized this was a moment of crisis, right? So bedbugs are sort of, you know, the kiss of death for the hotel industry and very often not their fault, right? Somebody else brought it in in a suitcase. It wasn't their fault. Um, and all these people were waiting in my room. And that within seconds, they had torn apart the bed. They had the mattress upside down. The hotel manager was there in a suit with a cart. They were packing my suitcases for me. They were loading everything back up. I said, I'm supposed to be, I need to eat breakfast before the restaurant closes. And I have a meeting with the AV people like, guys, this is not cool. And they handed me keys and said, you're basically in this amazing suite that's literally across the, across the hall from the rooms that, where you're holding all your events for the next couple of days please go have breakfast. Please don't worry about it. We will put everything in the drawers and get your, your hotel room all set up and feel free to stop by your room later. Here's your room number. And I disappeared. And there was, you know, there were, there were mimosas and there was breakfast and there was, um, and we were literally treated like Queens. So my colleague and I ended up in this crazy room with a marble conference table with, you know, two bathrooms and a kitchen. And they continued to sort of restock things with fruit and champagne and chocolate. And um, they served as our personal concierge for the rest of the trip. So it was my birthday the next day, they had someone stay late to drive us to dinner. And they just dropped everything to make sure we were well taken care of they never once again talked about the bed bug Um, I think they were terrified that I might hit social media with it and they knew I was a marketer so they probably knew that was an an option that could have happened I have never once publicly said the name of the hotel I've never said anything disparaging about them Um, and if I had occasion to be in Dallas again I would stay there again because they you know they were they clearly have things they need to work on, right? So uh, I recently heard Jeff Ram um, talk at the National Speakers Association about what he calls the celebrity service gap. So what's the gap between how you provide service to most customers and what you would do if it was George Clooney or it was some sort of celebrity, right? And so I was able to see in that trip how they treated regular guests versus what, so I became a VIP because I had this bad experience and they were afraid I would bad mouth them publicly, right? So they treated me like a Kardashian. And, and there was a significant gap, right? And so Jeff Ram talks about that. If you had 30 seconds, could you rattle off six things you would do differently in your business from what you do now if you were providing that service for a really famous person who came walking in? And so it was... For me, it was a really interesting way to think about um, what would it look like to give red carpet service um, or closer to red carpet service to everyone, not only when you have to, not only when the world falls apart and you're afraid of of PR crisis, but what would it look like if you tried to do that every day? And I think there were a lot of things that this hotel did for me and my business partner while we were there that they could be offering to their corporate clients anyway, and it shouldn't have had to take a, a bed bug to get them there, and so, that was an interesting lesson for me, um, one, as a customer, to learn to to give people a moment to make it right um, before you sort of freak out, which i didn't. I was actually very calm the entire time, and for me, as a business owner, i'm constantly sort of thinking about that experience and about um, jeff ram's concept of the celebrity service gap. What can I do now and in the future to provide um, rock star kind of treatment for my
1: clients? I love it it's It's such a great reminder that. I always say to everybody, we're all human, but just because we're human, doesn't mean we should give into that and make it okay just to be subpar because we don't wanna take the extra time and energy. And it's a, great, it's a great example. Unfortunately, like you said, it started with a, a bad situation that they turned right. Now the question is where did they go from here as a company? How do they take this lesson and learn and improve upon it? So that not only does it not happen again, now, but bed bugs happen. Well, I've been the recipient, I've woken up that next morning and gone, why do I have all these bumps on my legs and why <laughs> is there not in the sheets? Well, there you yeah. go. Yeah. And, and you live and learn and, and it happens, unfortunately, even at the best places. But the question is, will they also work on all the other elements to keep that flow of that hotel going so that they can deliver great experiences? Fantastic so the last question I ask everybody is if you could go back in time any point in time talk to the younger Kate when would that be and what advice would you give her that would have shocked her potential farther faster or kept you on the exact same
0: track
2: yeah so I would I would go back and tell the younger Kate that you are not your college major and you and you are not what people think you're supposed to do with your career um and that was you know I think I probably lost a little bit of traction um, at some point in my career, though luckily ended up exactly where I belonged, um, because I thought that when you study writing and and literature um, in college, then therefore you should maybe then go to graduate school and get a master's degree in comparative literature, and then you should be an English professor. But at the end of the day, I wanted to write for impact. And interestingly, I was a marketer when I was a kid, and I didn't know it. So I was the girl who was you know, in the backseat of the car, you know, the Datsun with no seatbelts, right? My mom's driving and, and I'm looking at billboards and saying, you know, what would have been a better headline, right? Or I'm at the grocery store and they've changed the packaging for Pepsi and it says same get great taste, new look. And I say to my mom, you know, what would have sounded better, more poetic was, you know, great new look, same great taste or, um, yeah. and so, right. And so I was, trying to sort of make those sort of marketing minded decisions when I was a kid and didn't know it. I got all the way through all of my college studies. I have four college degrees, all of which have served me very well, but none of which are in marketing. And I own a marketing (laughs) consultancy. Um, So I became sort of this accidental marketer. And I did suffer when I made pivots. So I was so afraid when I left academia, because there was, to me, there was something really elite about being a professor and having tenure and having this office in the ivory tower and what have you and having a really great you know retirement plan or what have you um that I worried that people would think I was a failure when I decided I wanted to go be a writer and I became a journalist and then I worried when um that sort of that company had layoffs and I lost that job what would it look like if I sort of started my own thing and do I have to still be a magazine editor um next and I was always afraid that the next job had to look like the last one, but with just a fancier title. And sometimes the biggest opportunities are when you sort of blow it up, right? So I went from being a professor to a journalist um, at a high-tech magazine. I wrote about, believe it or not, I wrote about semiconductors, um, semiconductor packaging. I was the first journalist in the world to mention the concept of Bluetooth technology and say I thought it would revolutionize the world and it did. I was a baby. It was like in my twenties when I did that, and and to not be afraid and to say, okay, well, what if I started a, a PR and marketing company even though that's not my background? Um, I'm a journalist. People send press releases to me. I could learn to write one. And so every time I've learned to sort of shift and not be afraid of what the label is. And so that's the advice I um, I give to college students now when I have chances to speak at universities, and that I wish I could go back in time and give to myself. You are not your college major and you are not what your parents think you're going to do with this degree.
1: Very good. It's critical information to think about yourself outside of what those labels are or what we think those labels should be but to really think about who we are. Kate, you have given an extreme amount of valuable information, tidbits. I've been taking notes, actually, as we've been going along, (laughs) things that I don't want to forget as we go through. And we will have, obviously, all your contact information on the show notes. But for anybody who's driving and want to be able to look you up later, what's the best way for them to learn more about you and about the businesses that you have?
2: Absolutely. So uh, just remember my name. It's easy to spell and it's nice and short. KateColbert.com is a great way to learn more about me or silvertreecommunications.com. You're welcome to hunt me down on social media, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you're comfortable hanging out. Um, Would love to keep in touch.
1: Absolutely. So as we get ready to wrap up, any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners?
2: Yeah, don't be afraid to pivot. So your career and your business and the work that you do is going to continue to change. Your customers are going to continue to change. You might think that four years ago you did research and you knew exactly what they were looking from for you. Make sure you do the research again now because your customer four years ago looks different today. Um, And don't be afraid to take those insights and pivot even if it's in a really scary way that requires a whole lot of courage. The amazing things are always on the other side of that
1: fear. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kate. It was a pleasure to have you on. And I look forward to continuing to hear more about all that you do. Thank you so much for having me. Have a wonderful day.
0: Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and like our podcast. And for more information, find us at shockyourpotential.com and shockyourpotentialpodcast.com.